The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. It's so good to have each of you in worship this morning. For those of you who have traveled to join us for Homecoming Sunday, thank you so much. All your presence just helps make the morning celebration complete. For those of you who are living here in the Raleigh-Durham area, and it's been a while since you've worshipped with us, welcome back. We're glad you're here. Uh, we hope that you'll join us again next Sunday or the Sunday that follows. You're welcome anytime we join at Emmanuel Baptist Church for worship. Now this morning, during our sermon, you're going to need two pieces of material that I hope you received when you came in today. First of all, and I think our ushers are going to help me just in case we accidentally missed anybody. Every person should have a card that looks like the one I'm holding in my right hand. It says, who's your one? And it's perforated. If you do not have a who's your one card that looks like the one I'm holding, please lift your hand high so that our ushers can find you and make sure you have one. Before we finish our service this morning, you're going to need this card to make your commitment unto the Lord today. So keep your hand up until our ushers arrive. They'll be there to help you just as quickly as they possibly can. And, and if you're getting tired, just hang on. We've got a wonderful lunch that will energize you later this morning. I'll preach about an hour and a half and then we'll adjourn and have lunch together. We need a couple more right on the front of this section. I want to make sure everybody has one. You'll need it before the service has concluded. All right, I, I think. Now the second piece, um, we have some copies that I want to make sure we, we distribute all that we have. It's called a 30-day prayer guide. It looks like the booklet that I'm holding. I apologize that I, I didn't order enough of these. So we, we want to give out all that we have. If you don't have a prayer guide and you're one of our adults this morning, one of our teenagers, would you raise your hand? We've got a few left and we want to make sure we pass out all that we have. And if we have folks who still don't have one, we're going to order more first thing in the morning next Sunday. They'll be available in the kiosk in the lobby and you can pick up your copy we're, we're distributing the last few copies that we have. Just keep your hand up and I'll let you know when we have. Ushers, let me know when we're out of the booklets. We're still working. We're still working. Thank you for being so patient. There's fried chicken out there. There's banana pudding out there. There's a pear pie out there. There's some mac and cheese. Are you hungry yet? I'll make you a deal. I'll only preach an hour and 15 minutes. Want to make sure we get the last few booklets. So if you're still missing a booklet, we have a few more. Want to make sure you have one. This is going to be so helpful for you in the days to come. And again, if, if you don't get one this morning, you come back next Sunday and we'll have you a copy, I promise. Ushers, tell me when the tank's empty. Anybody else? Roland, did you get one? 
Your wife has one, my brother. We one more right there. There we go. All right. Need one more in the back corner to my right. I love the participation this morning. Thank you. A preacher always loves it when he says, I see that hand. I, I see that hand. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're celebrating all that God has done in the past here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just think through the years that you've been connected with this congregation of the people that you know who have come to faith in Christ through the preaching and the teaching and the ministry of this congregation. Perhaps it was your spouse or your children or your grandchildren. And you sat similar to you are seated this morning and you watched as they made their public profession of faith through the ordinance of baptism. What, what a wonderful celebration this morning of all that God has done in the past. Perhaps, perhaps you and your husband or wife, you gathered here at this altar on the day that you were married and it was here at Emmanuel Baptist Church that you began your life together as husband and wife. That is something to be celebrated today. We're celebrating all that God has done in the past. We're certainly celebrating what he's doing in the present. Amen? God is moving and stirring in Emmanuel Baptist Church. We think, we know, based on the authority of God's word, our best days are in our future. And that's what today is really focused on. This morning, Emmanuel Baptist Church gathers with all Southern Baptist congregations to think about who's your one. Who's that one person that the Father would have you to focus your life upon in the days to come to help invite that individual in your life into the kingdom of God? We see this biblical principle in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, and you follow along reading silently as I read aloud. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. And some men were carrying a bed, on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable 
things today. Father, would you help us to see in this text those in our lives like this paralytic man who desperately need to see Jesus. Father, would you help us to be the kind of friend that would say, in my life, I'll do whatever it takes to help my friend meet the Savior. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're being seated, I want you to take this commitment card and keep it in your hand today. For later in our service, we're going to ask you to use this card to commit to do three things in the days to come. We're, we're going to ask you to commit with the next slide. We're going to ask you to commit to pray for one person, to encourage one person, and to share with one person. And here's what we know. We, we know it's a lost world out there in which we live. We know that missiologists tell us that there are over 3 billion people on planet Earth who do not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, who have never surrendered their heart to Jesus, who have not even heard the name of Jesus proclaimed in their lifetime. But this morning, I'm not asking you to think about 3 billion people. I'm asking you to think about one. One person in your life. Maybe a person in your family. A spouse, a child, a grandchild, a brother, a sister, a parent, one person. Maybe a person who's a friend of yours. Their child plays on your child's soccer team. Their child is on your child's football team or in your child's band and you see them on a regular basis. Perhaps it's a golfing buddy or a fishing buddy, someone who lives across the cul-de-sac from you that you enjoy dinner with on a regular occasion. One person this morning. Perhaps it's one person at work. Your boss, your employee, your administrative assistant, your partner. Just one person. And at the end of the service, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to pray for that one person, to encourage that one person to share with that one person. Now, we want you to know at the outset of the message this morning that this is a commitment that your staff and deacons have already made. You see on the screen behind me the names of their one person. The one person that God has placed upon their heart for them to focus on, to pray for, to encourage, to share. We're going to ask you to make the same commitment your church leadership has made in just a moment. This commitment comes from Luke chapter 5. It flows from this biblical passage. And so in this biblical passage, as we turn our attention, the very first thing I want us to see is what I call the paralytics condition. The man in this story, one of the central characters we focus upon, is a man who's identified simply as a paralytic. He has three conditions that I want us to see. Two are fairly obvious. One is a suspicion. First of all, I want us to see his physical and emotional condition. Look with me, verse 18. His physical and emotional condition. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was 
paralyzed. The Bible is very succinct in describing this man's physical condition. It simply says he's paralyzed. The Bible doesn't tell us how he became paralyzed. It doesn't tell us if he was paralyzed from birth. It doesn't tell us if he contracted some disease that rendered him paralyzed. It doesn't tell us if he had a spinal cord injury that has left him paralyzed. The Bible simply, in describing his physical condition, tells us he's paralyzed. Later in the passage, it seems to imply that he's confined to a stretcher. You can see this man in your mind's eye, can you not? Lying on a pallet, if you will, lying on a stretcher. He's, he's paralyzed. He's unable to move his legs. He's unable to move his arms. He, he simply lays there because he's paralyzed. That's his physical condition. His emotional condition flows from his paralysis. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, the first century culture is an agrarian society. A man is able to eat and provide for his family by the work of his hands. Most men of the first century were shepherds or vine dressers or farmers. They would, they would arise in the morning early before daylight and they would go to the fields or the vineyards or to the flock and they would perform their functions as a farmer, as a rancher, as a shepherd. We know from studying the first century that most men were paid at the end of the work day. You, you put in your 8, 10, 12 hours of the day, and at the end of the day, the person you were working for would give you that day's wage. And it was that money then that you would go to the market and buy the food for the coming day for your family. Do you get a sense of this man's emotional state? Physically, he's paralyzed. He's unable to walk. He's unable to work in the fields. He's unable to be a shepherd. He's unable to be a vine dresser in the vineyards. He, he has no way of providing any assistance financially to his family. We, we don't know if he's married. Scripture doesn't tell us. But if he is, he can't provide for his wife. We don't know if he's a father. The scriptures do not tell us. But if he is, he cannot provide for his children. He is in a helpless, hopeless state. Can you see him in your mind? Lying on a stretcher. No hope of really ever being a man in his culture. To be a provider for his family, to secure their future, to be a man like everyone else he knows who is able to use their strength and, and their, their might to provide for those he loves. Can you see him this morning? His physical and emotional condition. There's a third condition I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. It's his spiritual condition. Now, when we read in verse 18 that he's paralyzed, there's a hint of this man's spiritual condition. You see, in the first century, it was commonly believed that if, if someone suffered a physical illness, it was because of sin that was present in his or her life. And so when the text tells us that this man is paralyzed, it, it hints that perhaps there is a spiritual condition of sin that exists in this man's life and somehow God is punishing him for his sinfulness. 
That was the mindset of the first century. But this text proves he is living in the spiritual condition of sin. Come back and look at the text with me. Look with me, if you will. Verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. You know the story. We read it a moment ago. Uh, this man is brought to Jesus. We're going to examine his friends in a moment who bring him to Jesus. They lower him through the roof, set him before the master, and there as he's lying on his stretcher before the master, the very first condition in his life that Jesus addresses is not his physical state. It's not his emotional state. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the story. He goes right to the most vulnerable part of this man's life and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven you. Before he says, arise and walk, before he says, stand up, take your pallet and go home, Jesus looks at him and he says, let me address the deepest problem in your life. Your sins are forgiven you. That's this man's condition. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know one person like that in your life? The world looks at their life and the world sees a lot of different problems. They, they may not be physical problems, but the world sees marital problem and marital tension in marital dysfunction. The world looks at their life and, and the world sees financial problems or professional problems or relational problems of some other type than marriage. The world looks at their life and the world sees all of the problems this person is dealing with. But when God looks at their life, God sees the sin. You see, the one thing you and I know, ladies and gentlemen, we know someone in our life who is living in the condition of sin, do we not? Look what the Bible says. For what's the word, church? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sinned in that verse of Scripture means to miss the mark. It's an archer's term. The implication of the text is that God has a bullseye that He's painted on a target for our lives to reach. He, want us, he wants us to be perfect and righteous as He is perfect and He is righteous. And every life has missed that mark. You see, you know someone who has a sin condition in their life today. Because you have a sin condition in your life today. If you're here this morning and you're the most educated person in the room... You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're here today and you're the most affluent person in the room, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're here today and you're the most moral, the most honest, the most charitable person in all of this congregation, I want you to know based upon God's word, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word all is inclusive. You know someone who's living in the malady of sin in their life. We know something else, too, about this sin. The next slide. For the wages of sin 
is death. You know what wages are, don't you? If you work, you know what wages are. You look forward to every other Friday or every Friday or once a month, whatever the rhythm of your work may be. It's when you look at your bank account and there's been that great deposit from this guy. And your account is flush with cash. Those are your wages. You've worked hard for those. You've earned those. You've, you've put in the sweat of your brow. You, you've used your intellectual ability. You, you've used all the skills professionally that you possess during that 40-hour week or 60-hour week or 80-hour week. And now you've received what you deserve. Your wages. Don't you love the Bible? Because the Bible never minces any words. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve, what we've earned because of our sinfulness is death. When the Bible says death, it's not speaking of, in this verse of Scripture, physical death. It's speaking of spiritual death. It's speaking of separation from the righteous, holy God. Because of our sinfulness, we deserve to be eternally separated from the righteous, holy God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our condition. That's the condition of every person you know. That's the condition of your husband. That's the condition of your wife. That's condition of your children. It's hard to even say, but it's the condition of your grandchildren. For all have sinned. Fall so short of the glory of God, and because of that sin, we deserve to be eternally separated from God. Do you know one person in your life that falls into that category? And the answer is yes, you do. They're seated to your left. They're seated to your right. They'll be traveling home in the car with you today. They'll be waving at you from the porch across the street. They'll have lunch with you in the restaurant this week. They'll play golf with you on the course this week. Yes, you do. Well, the second thing I want you to see is not just a paralytic's condition, but, but I want you to see that his condition collides with his friend's conviction. His condition, his, his physical condition, his emotional condition, his spiritual condition, it collides head on with the conviction of his friends. Come back and look with me. Verse 18. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Here it comes. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, speaking of Jesus. His condition Humanly speaking, physically speaking, he's paralyzed. Emotionally speaking, he feels hopeless and helpless. Spiritually speaking, he is in sin. He is a sinner who deserves the wages of his sin, which is death. But the conviction of his friend is this. We've got to get him to Jesus. We've got to get him to Jesus. Their, their conviction is, we've got to get him to Jesus somehow. We've got to get him to Jesus. If we can only get him to Jesus, he'll get the help that he needs. We don't know why that's their conviction. We, we don't know if they've heard Jesus preach before. We don't know if the, the message that Jesus is healing has reached them. We're not sure why that's their conviction. But you can see from the text, they have a conviction that says, 
we have to get our friend to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we have some convictions as Christians, don't we? We have some convictions that we see flowing into our heart from Scripture, and they will be our convictions today. They'll be our convictions tomorrow. They'll be our convictions on the day that we die because they flow to us from Scripture. Let's look at some of those convictions this morning. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. We talked about that, but, but we're convicted. We're convinced. We know in our hearts that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Oh, that's a conviction of every believer in Jesus. Yes, we deserve death. Yes, we've earned death. But we know in Jesus there is a free gift that waits for us, and that is life everlasting of the Father who loves us and the Father who created us. That is our conviction. There's another conviction we have. The Lord, He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord loves you so much. He loves your family so much. He loves your network of friends and co-workers so much. He loves them that He's willing to be as patient as He possibly can, waiting for them to repent of their sin, to turn from their sin, and turn to faith in Him. That's how He loves them. That one that God's already been bringing to your mind, you, you see their face, you, you know their name. God's not willing for that one to perish. He wants that one to come to repentance, to faith in Christ. There's another conviction that we have, that, that God wants us to repent so much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God wants every man, woman, boy, girl, educated, uneducated, affluent, poor, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, He even wants your one to repent so badly and come to faith in Him so much that He asked Jesus Christ, His Son, to go to Calvary's cross to die for them. So that whosoever believes in Jesus should have eternal life. We're convicted that's true. Ladies and gentlemen, my eternity is based on that verse of Scripture. That's a conviction that we have. There's another conviction that we have that we fail to read all too often because we stop with John 3.16. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. I want you to hear this next part. It flows to us from God's holy word, so it must be our conviction. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me make sure you understand this morning what that verse of Scripture is saying. That person that you're thinking of, that God's been bringing to your mind, you're one that you're going to pray for and encourage and share that one who is living in a condition spiritually of sin, that one who is living under this biblical principle that the wages of sin is death, that one will not be judged guilty in some day to come when his life or her life on earth is over and they stand before the Lord. They will not be judged guilty in that day. They stand guilty today. 
this moment. The only way for the judgment of guilty to be lifted off of them is for them to turn to faith in Christ. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I beg you to understand that biblical principle. You see, somehow in the church today, we, we think that somehow we're innocent until death comes. And at the moment of death comes, if we've never said yes to Jesus, somehow in that moment, God then says you are guilty. No, God is saying that if you have not believed in Christ, you are guilty already. The only way for that judgment to be lifted is for you to come to faith in Christ. To make Christ your Lord and Savior. Some of you are here this morning and you need to make that commitment today. The one that we're really talking about may actually be you. And today more than anything else, you need to understand John 3, 16. That, that in verse 17 and 18, the Bible teaches, if you have not trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're already guilty before the Lord. But that guilt can be removed if you will come to Jesus, making him your Lord and Savior and Master. Now come back to the text. We've seen the paralytic's condition, and we've seen the conviction of these men. I want you to see also that his condition collided with their conviction. And don't miss this. And their conviction drove their action. Come back and look with me, if you will, verse 18 and 19. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of Jesus, verse 19. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and laid him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd, in front of Jesus. This story is told in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel. The other gospels give us a little clear understanding of what transpires. Here's these guys. We, we have a mental picture that there are four of them, one carrying each corner of his stretcher. It's, it's hot. It's dry. The, the temperature in the Middle East is soaring. But they've got a conviction that somehow we've got to get him to Jesus. We've got to get him to Jesus. If we can simply get him to Jesus, he'll be okay. Jesus will do something in his life for his life to be better if we can only get him to Jesus. And so here are these four men. You, you see them in your eye. They're, they're carrying him. They, they get up to the doorway of the home, and there are people spilling out into the, into the street. It's just crowded. And the text says they don't stop there. Now, they could have, and no one would have blamed them. If they had gotten to the doorway with their paralyzed friend and said, well, the crowd is too big and, and they won't let us through. We, we tried. We did our best. It was a, it was a good thought. We, we hoped we would get him to Jesus, but it's just not going to happen. Maybe tomorrow, if they had turned around and gone home, no one would have blamed them but they had a conviction. We've got to get him to Jesus. And so the Bible says they noticed the staircase on the side of the house. If you know anything about first century architecture, there's a staircase that's built on the side of many of the homes, and you would walk up, and in the evenings, in the cool of the evenings, you would spend the evening up there in that open-air kind of patio, if you will. And the other Gospels tell us that they don't simply just lower him down to Jesus. They have to begin... It's almost a comical picture. 
they have to begin tearing up the roof, the ceiling of this home. The homes were made mostly of mud. Some had tile. It seems that this home may have had both by the way it's recorded in several Gospels. And, and so here they are ripping tiles off someone else's home. Why? Because they have a conviction. We've got to get him to Jesus. They get the tiles off and there's the mud and they start digging through the mud and they're getting a hole large enough, Scripture tells us, not so they can simply lower this man's feet first down in front of Jesus, but so they can lower his entire stretcher. Can you just see the crowd on the inside? Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden this stuff's falling and they begin to see fingers coming through the ceiling and Directly they see eyes looking down at them and they're looking up and they're keeping the trash from getting in their eyes. Why? Because these guys just have a conviction. We've got to get him to Jesus. We've got to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. Emmanuel Baptist Church, I want you to picture your one that person that the Holy Spirit of God is placing upon your heart and in your mind right now? What will you do to get that one person to Jesus? That husband or wife, that child or grandchild, that friend, co-worker, neighbor, what will you do? Here's the question I'm really asking. At what point will you say, I've done all that I can do? I've tried. I've given it my best. I'm not going to cross this line. I've done everything that seems to be appropriate. I'm not going to take that next step in getting them to Jesus. These men did not have a line they would not cross because they had a conviction. We've got to get him to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that one, that person in your mind today, they are guilty of sin. All have sinned. They deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. To spend eternity not in a relationship with God, but separated from God in a place that the Bible describes as hell, a place of pain and torment for all eternity. That's what they deserve unless you and I have a conviction that we have to do something, anything, everything to get them to Jesus. Because if we can get them to Jesus, somehow they'll be owed. So here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to pray for your one. Take your prayer guide in hand. I want to show you something. Something unique about this prayer guide. It's fascinating to me. You'll begin using it tomorrow. And on the very first day, you're going to notice that as you do the day one prayer, you're going to have an opportunity to write the name of your one on those empty blanks. So as, as you're walking through this devotional, you're just being reminded, oh yes, John, 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 I've got to get John to Jesus. Go to day two, and the next day you start your devotion, and, and there you go. An opportunity for you to write John's name in over and over and over as you pray for him. Day three, for 30 days every morning, I'm asking you to use this prayer guide, and every time you see that blank, you write in the name of your one. In the morning as I open my prayer guide and begin using this devotion, I'll be 
I'll be writing, God, I know there is only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He is the only hope for a lost and dying world, and that includes Ashley. Her salvation depends on acknowledging Jesus as who he says he is, and he alone is the source of salvation. Use the people and circumstances in Ashley's life today to point her to the reality of Jesus. Give me courage and boldness to call Ashley to faith in Jesus when the opportunity arises and help me make it clear that there's no other way to be saved. I'm asking you to pray for your one. The second thing I'm asking you to do is to encourage your one. Now, almost put on the screen, invite your one. Invite your one to worship with you here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. But, but I want you to do more than invite. I want you to encourage. You say, we, we can invite one time and check that box and move on. But if we're encouraging, we, we stay after John. We stay after our Ashley and encourage them and encourage them and encourage them to worship with us at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And then finally, I'm asking you to share. Share with your one how Jesus changed your life. That's all. I'm not asking you to memorize certain verses of Scripture. I'm not asking you to, to go knock on a door of a person you've never met to tell them about Jesus. I'm asking you to commit today to that person that God has placed on your mind that you know you already have a relationship with them and just share how Jesus changed your life and how He can change theirs. Will your conviction about sin and death and Jesus and repentance, will your conviction drive you to action? One last thing I want you to see this morning from this text. Not only did their conviction drive them to action, I want you to see finally, their actions... Reveal their faith and seeing their faith, Jesus brought transformation. Look with me, verse 20. Seeing their faith, plural, their faith, plural. Who's that referencing? Well, certainly the, the friends of this paralytic man seeing their faith, but it also includes his faith. I want to stress that, ladies and gentlemen. No one is ever transformed by Jesus because of the faith of someone else. Jesus transforms the human heart because of the faith in that human heart. Seeing their faith, the faith of the four friends, if we just get into Jesus, Jesus will do something. Jesus will change his life. And seeing the faith in the life of the paralytic. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is transformation. He transforms this paralytic physically. He, he picks up his stretcher and he, can you imagine 
He's been paralyzed, unable to use his legs, unable to use his arms. And now he's standing. Now he's carrying his own stretcher. Now he's walking through the crowd and out the door, headed home. He's been transformed physically. He's been transformed emotionally. Oh, I'm going home and I'm going to be able to hug my wife for the first time. I'm going to be able to hug my children. I'm going to be able to work in the morning and provide for my family. He's going home emotionally transformed. But most of all, he's going home spiritually transformed. Your sins are forgiven you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is total transformation of this man's life because of Jesus Christ. Here's what I promise you. If you'll let your conviction drive you to action in the life of your one, if you will pray for them, if you will encourage them to worship with you, if you will share with them how Christ has transformed your life over the weeks and months to come, you will see Jesus Christ totally transform your one. He'll transform their marriage. He'll transform any addiction they might have in their life. He will transform them spiritually. They will be totally new. You see, one last verse of Scripture. We believe this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. New life, new marriage, new relationships, new everything. So reach over and pick up your commitment card this morning. Who's your one? You'll notice on this commitment card, there's a place for you to write the first name of your one in two locations. Because this is a detachable, perforated piece of material. On the one that's the size of a business card, I want you to write the first name. Not the first and last name, but the first name of your one. On the section that looks like a bookmark shape with verses of Scripture, I want you to again write the first name of your one. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. Deacons, I know you've already given me the name of your one. I want you to fill out a commitment card as well. This morning, I'm going to ask you to have so the conviction that your one needs to get to Jesus. That somehow you have to get them to Jesus. That somehow if you can get them to Jesus, they will be transformed. I'm going to ask you, if you'll make a commitment to pray for, encourage, and share with your one, that during our invitation this morning, you will bring your card and you will place it on this Lord's Supper table as an act of commitment, not to me, as an act of commitment, not to this church, but as an act of commitment unto God Himself. That somehow you're going to do everything in your power to get your one to Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to complete your card. As the music plays, I'm going to ask you to bring your card and place it on the table. Father, would you right now all across this room place a face and a name upon the heart of every believer? Father, may we be driven to action 
by our convictions today. Father, I pray for Ashley. I pray that you would transform her life. She desperately needs you. Help me to do everything in my power to get her to Jesus. And may you use the power of this congregation to bring many to Christ. I pray that in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As the music plays, you bring your card as an act of commitment. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.